Welcome to the Windswept and Interesting podcast, all about the outdoors, nature and the countryside. I'm Richard Baines. I was in South Uist recently and took the chance to have a chat with a conservation legend who lives there. John Love was one of the people involved in the very first successful reintroduction to Scotland of white-tailed eagles or sea eagles. They are, of course, now lauded as a conservation success story, having spread all along Scotland's West Highlands seaboard. But there have been, of course, big changes to the environment in the 50 years or so since they first came back. And I wanted to know what John made of that. If you like this chat, by the way, you can subscribe to the podcast and I'd love to hear your views on it and suggestions for future episodes. Have a look for my handle at Scott Nature Corps on Twitter and send me a note. After studying zoology at Aberdeen University, John Love was drafted in by the then Nature Conservancy Council, now the government agency Nature Scott, to help with the sea eagle reintroduction on the Isle of Rum, a nature reserve owned by the agency. There were no crofters, no sheep, no rabbits on Rum, and being a nature reserve, there was no particular reason to carry out a widespread public consultation and I lived on Rum for about 10 years in the end while the Sea Eagle project was continued. Then I came out here. I did a bit of writing and various bits and pieces and also doing survey work on where the Sea Eagles were ending up. But in 1992, I got a post as area officer for SNH uh, in US Barra and St Kilda. And I've been here ever since. I retired about 14 years ago. And like it so much out here, I've stayed. And I'm doing a bit now of guest speakers, uh, guide, Zodiac driver on small cruise ships around all sorts of places, initially the Hebrides, but now all over the world, really. So the Sea Eagles project, um, that was the second or third attempt to reintroduce sea eagles, I think, around Scotland. Did you expect it to be as successful as it has been with, with the, the large number of birds now down the West Coast? Well, the, f- the first one, as you say, in 1958, I think it was, were three birds released in Argyll. One was caught in a trap, one had to be taken back into captivity, it was a captive, ex-captive bird from Norway. And so that didn't leave any opportunity for any success. In 1968, George Waterston of the RSPB, the RSPB's Scottish director, organised the release of four birds on Fair Isle in Shetland with uh, full knowledge and consent from the islanders. One of these was killed because it got covered in fulmar oil. Another was Roy Dennis, who was the warden at the time, thinks it might have flown back to Norway even now. I was there on holiday when the first three sea eagles from Norway came in. Then Roy suggested I could go to Rum. 
the Nature Conservancy decided Rum would be a good place to do it. So I went to Rum for six weeks with a rucksack and ended up leaving ten years later with dog, uh, wife, a house full of furniture and the like. But we weren't sure initially when I started whether we'd be able to keep it going. And four birds obviously hadn't been enough in the previous two. So we we kept our fingers crossed and gradually NCC committed to it. And the Norwegian government continued to give us licenses to collect the birds. The RAF flew them across from Norway. It took a long time because we were dealing with a small population which was widely dispersed and for the first five years of their lives sea eagles do disperse and as they mature they gradually take up territories and settle down usually near where in our case where they were released or had been brought up in the wild. So there was every reason to suspect that we were going to be successful and it has been successful and attracted worldwide attention. It was quite a pioneering thing to happen back then. Mm-hmm. We've now got something like 140 pairs, 150 pairs maybe? Yeah. Something, yeah. something of that order. I think it was 130 two or three years ago. But it's not been without controversy, has it? Because there have been constant claims from fairly early on, I think, of, from farmers suggesting that they're taking lambs. Um, what, what do you make of that whole argument? I find it strange because back then in the 70s, Norway was one of the last reliable and self-sustaining population anywhere in Northern Europe. Of white-tailed eagle. Of white-tailed eagle, which is why we approached them to give us birds. And on the Fair Isle case in particular, 1968 prompted the Norwegian government to protect sea eagles in Norway, give them full protection, and they have been slowly increasing ever since. It's a clean environment. It's a very convoluted coastline, much like here in the west of Scotland. So it can sustain lots of birds and as they've been increasing in Norway and better uh, surveys undertaken, there's now something like approaching 4,000 breeding pairs in Norway, whereas back then one estimate was 600, but it was more than that. So, and Norway has never had, or very few if any, cases of them taking domestic livestock. And they can live with that. Okay, golden eagles, which are a more active hunter than sea eagles, do take reindeer calves, according to the laps. But sea eagles don't. They don't have a problem with sea eagles, the laps. So how can Norway live with 4,000 pairs? And we're struggling to convince people that 150 pairs and rising should be hard to live with. I find it really quite weird. I suppose the counter to that might be the suggestion that that sheep husbandry in this country 
using hefted hill sheep is very different to sheep husbandry in Norway, where I understand sheep are more kept in a, a semi-wooded environment and less likely to become prey. Is that a is that an argument you've heard or that you could you want to counter? I, I don't think anybody's actually said that to me, but it's true. There are still, I think, the last time I checked, about a million sheep in Norway scattered a big country. Here we're talking several million. I don't know what the total is, and it's declining. And the sheep industry here is in trouble uh, for many reasons. Not applicable to sea eagles, in my opinion, and a lot of people's opinion. People aren't eating so much red meat. There's overgrazing problems in a lot of the places. Climate is changing, public perceptions, all the rest of it. So the sheep industry has now got a scapegoat. It's got sea eagles, look, we exterminated them in the first place because of their impact on sheep, which I don't necessarily believe. So it must be the sea eagles' impact that's affecting the sheep industry. But like so many things, like the cod fisheries and lots of other fisheries, people are blaming seals and dolphins and things for eating so many fish that fishing boats can't catch, are not catching anymore. But that's just a convenient scapegoat for basically overfishing and bad management. And there are parallels with the sheep industry and agriculture. When you were involved in the reintroduction in 1975, obviously uh, there would have been some account taken of the kind of environment you were releasing the birds into. But that environment in the last, it's, it's almost 50 years now, isn't it? Have I got mm-hmm. that right? It's, it's, yeah. it's almost 50 years since then. Um, that environment has changed in some ways. I'm thinking particularly of um, the change to the inshore fishing limit uh, being scrapped in 1985. Um, I think it was um, when mechanised trawling was allowed inshore again. Um, and also uh, the advent of, of fish farming. And also the decline in, in, in salmon runs on the West Coast, which would be po- a possible source of food for sea eagles. What I'm driving at is it's a very different environment now to even when you re- reintroduce them. Could that be impacting on the sea eagles and making them change their prey for stuff that's uh, more convenient and more available? Yes, interesting question in that... When sea eagles were around fulmers in the 19th, early 20th century, fulmers were very scarce. They only started breeding outside St Kilda and Faroe and Iceland, this far south, um, in 1878. And now they're all around the coast of Britain. So there's a big change. Things are always changing in the environment and with wildlife. The sea eagles have adapted and changed their diet. When they first came in and were released, they went straight for areas where sheep were abundant and there were a lot of carrion lying around. So some might have got 
the idea back then that here was a great source of carrion. And they're still taking lots of dead sheep and lambs as carrion and possibly even killing them. And we do know they kill them, they're, they're raptors after all. But they're vultures also. They're closer to vultures than they are to golden eagles, for instance. So they, their natural inclination is to go for carrion and go for things that are easy. We probably know more about the diet and prey of sea eagles now than any other raptor in Northern Europe. A study has just been done of prey remains found in nests, about 82, 92 different nests, totaling about nearly 11,500 prey items. And compared with the early days of the reintroduction and the first nesting pairs, which the studies were concentrated where problems were being reported, so naturally tended to overestimate the impact on lambs. Nowadays, sea eagles are in lots of other places besides, and they take a huge range of prey items, varies from place to place. Lambs are featuring now much less than they were in the early days. They're taking a much wider range of prey, a lot of seabirds, a lot of rabbits and hares, and they're also taking geese. And farmers and crofters find problems with geese. So we've introduced not only something that is valuable to the tourist industry and contributes millions of pounds in one way or another. From Some of the bird watchers and so forth. Bird watchers. Um, safaris, uh, boat trips, all sorts of things. Bums on seats and beds and hotels, you name it. Their effect on geese is something that's underestimated. We saw it in David Attenborough the other night, um, them killing geese on Isla. But that's happened here for several years now, where resident greylag geese can be a problem. They're a problem for farmers, eating silage and eating grass. And so yeah. yeah. And here, the geese, the resident greylag geese, were quite a conservation feature. Suddenly, we've introduced a natural predator. Their geese are, and goslings are figuring quite highly in prairie mains and observations we have of hunts of sea eagles going for these birds. And they're also scaring geese away from crops, growing crops. But several crofters have said to me, if there's seagulls around, uh, we don't see the geese coming into the crops and destroying the crops. So farmers should be grateful to you for reintroducing seagulls? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, yes. I don't, I don't think they'll be sending you a thank you letter anytime soon, will they? No, but so many of them don't care. They're very interested. Mm -hmm. um, I had one old crofter who I said, are you having any incidents of sea eagles taking lambs? Mm -hmm. He said, no, I can't say I have. Two lambs disappeared the other day 
And then today I had another set of twins. So the swings and roundabouts. A lot of crofters' reaction is if they're not getting as many lambs, then we should increase the number of sheep we've got on the land, which is only going to increase the amount of overgrazing that might result in some places. We had a lot of bad press through one particular old man who said he wasn't finding any lambs, not even lying around, so it must be eagles lifting them and carrying them away. And when they finally rounded up his sheep and his neighbour's sheep to check that they were in lamb, half of this man's flock consisted of two-year-olds uh, males and old toothless ewes that uh, were past breeding anyway. But we didn't like to publicise that because he was such a nice old man. Didn't stop him reporting, complaining to the press about <laughs> eagles. But There was a study done, I think, in Appin or, or Lawn, which showed a statistical decline in a sheep flock. So I think you know, there, there is some acceptance there that, that, that there is an impact. What do you think that's down to? Do you think that's down to eagles actually taking lambs? Well, I would dispute that there's an impact. It depends where you are. In certain areas, there might be an impact on certain crofters, and only then in certain years, by certain pairs. There's several studies being done which show that even in the worst affected areas, quote-unquote, there is no overall impact on the sheep industry by reducing lambs. You're listening to the Windswept and Interesting podcast. So why does the man who brought back one apex predator question the idea of bringing back others? Stay listening to find out. We'll be back in one minute. One of the ideas that I was wondering about is uh, not really to do with the eagles taking lambs, and I'm sorry to harp on about the sheep industry, but it's the point that's constantly made to me. Not them taking lambs, but them having the kind of predator effect that we see um, with wolves and deer. It's kind of a scientifically known effect that it's not just the number of deer that the wolves kill which suppresses deer numbers when wolves are present and there are deer around, but it's the, their effect on the general fecundity. The same effect that actually we see with dogs worrying sheep. Do the, is it not the case that the, that the sea eagles would be, would be kind of worrying the sheep and therefore they're more likely to have low birth weight lambs and they're more likely to abort and they're more likely to be less fecund in the first place because they're being moved around and they're not in such good condition? Is there not a possibility that there's, a, that there's an additional effect there? But that possibility would only arise concerning eagles that are tuned in to looking for lambs. They take so much other prey, live prey. We've even had hedgehogs and octopus and God knows all what, by certainly rarely, but they have such a wide prey base available that I can't see for a, a few weeks if... Uh, an eagle is concentrating on a you giving birth that it's going to have any significant problem uh, impact whatsoever.
The reintroduction of the white-tailed eagle has been defined as um, our first successful reintroduction of an apex predator in this country. And there's lots of noise um, amongst conservationists um, these days about the reintroduction of, of other predators. Um, do you think the sea, eagle, sea eagles can be a model for that? Do you think we should be bringing back the lynx and the wolf? Sea eagles, the last nest we know about was on Skye in 1916. And maybe the last sea eagle in Britain was 1918 in Shetland. So that's not that long ago. And we're finding that the sea eagles are occupying places that we know sea eagles used to nest in 100 years ago. With wolves, we're talking at least 1745 is one quoted case of wolves disappearing from Scotland. Lynx, probably even further back than that. You have to look at how the environment has changed. Another incident of what's changed in the environment is the number of humans around and the impact they have on changing the environment and occupying the environment and interacting with these creatures. So I think you have to look at it carefully. Certainly the Sea Eagle one was thought through carefully and is held up as a um, sort of um, classic example of a successful reintroduction. Another one would be the Red Kite which died out at about the same time. Also a carrion feeder, it has to be said. So there are, yeah, swings and roundabouts and there are impacts. As somebody who was involved in a reintroduction, I shouldn't be against reintroductions or rewilding. And we're already seeing lots of benefits of rewilding and improvements in uh, biodiversity as a result. So um, we desperately need more forest and more large um, grazers and all the rest of it to help with carbon reductions and all the rest of it. So lots of things change and you have to assess maybe each one carefully as you go along. So if somebody said to you tomorrow we're thinking of bringing back wolves to, say, Loch Arbor. Um, what would you think? Well, I was at a conference, a Mammal Society conference, years ago, when somebody was standing up and giving a short speech on the possibility of reintroducing wolves to the Isle of Rum uh, to help control the deer there. And I had to stand up and say to him, I don't know who first thought of that idea, but if you bring wolves into rum, which is probably one of the largest Manx Shearwater colonies anywhere, the wolves are going to mop up the Manx Shearwaters. Nobody's thought it through, and rum's only 64 square miles, so you'd be lucky to get one wolf pack, small wolf pack, self-sustaining in that sort of situation. So... These are the things we've got to take into account, that we're fragmenting 
the natural environment and habitats. So we need to be confident that we have enough natural habitat to accommodate the number that you want to bring in for them to be self-sustaining. You were always confident, though, that as far as the white-tailed eagle was concerned, we did have enough habitat, and you're happy with that now. Yeah, I mean, one of the, f the first thing I had to do was to go to Norway for two weeks to survey sea eagles with the Norwegian expert there at the time. What struck me, particularly when I came back to Rum with four young sea eagles, was how similar the habitat in northern Norway is to here. The west coast in particular is similar, not so much to the fjords of Norway, but the offshore islands. There are loads of habitat there. Sea eagles aren't so exclusive in nesting sites, and we went to a roost site and that had 20 young sea eagles sitting around in the trees. And there was a couple of pairs of nesting sea eagles around the corner. So they, having that sort of habitat gives lots of opportunities. And I felt quite relaxed that we were doing it. One of the things sea eagles often do there, not only following fishing boats, to get fish thrown out or discarded, which they do here, um, but they sit around and watch otters and if an otter comes to shore with a fish or a heron or a gull, the sea eagle will swoop down and steal it. And that's happening here. We know that. And fishermen are quite happy throwing fish out for the eagles because it's quite spectacular. And some have turned it into a tourist industry. So what you're saying is there's, there's plenty to go at for the sea eagles here. Yeah, yeah. On uh, the east coast, where it's a straight, linear coastline with very few offshore islands, there's maybe less opportunity for many sea eagles. They're maybe nesting more inland or associated with estuaries, where we know that ospreys particularly nest. And in Sweden, there are cases of competition between ospreys and sea eagles. But on the west coast of Scotland and Ireland, particularly, uh, there are loads of opportunities still. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can review, subscribe or send me suggestions. My Twitter handle is at Scott Nature Corps.